Live from our WSBT Radio studios in downtown South Bend. Let's go! Come on! Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Wow, don't blink. A lot of major intestinal fortitude going on here. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish has upset Florida State. Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Number one ranked UCLA Bruins have been upset by the Irish of Notre Dame. Plus fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame, 3.7 seconds away from a spot in the national championship game. The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBTradio.com. The free WSBT radio app. Big time budgets. Now, here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner, Darren Pritchett. Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on a gorgeous Tuesday, April the 11th of 2023. This is the way it should be in South Bend on April the 11th. But based on my history for a few years calling South Bend Cub games, this doesn't happen very often. The first ever South Bend Cub game in 2015, the clouds parted, the sun came out, and it was 72 degrees at first pitch. And we've had some cold days. We've had some snow out since then. But here today, it is gorgeous as I broadcast live from Suite 12 down the third baseline at Four Winds Field in downtown South Bend, Indiana. It is the home opener for the 2023 South Bend Cubs. As tonight, they will take on the Sky Carp from Beloit. My name is Darren Pritchett. Great to have you with me on, again, a beautiful night for baseball. They're expecting a big crowd for opening night. Last year's Midwest League Championship banner will be unveiled before the game. In fact, the gates are opening right now for the patrons. Do I have to call it patrons? The Masters is over. We can, I guess, call it fans once again. The gates are open, and the first few South Bend Cub fans are coming into beautiful Four Winds Field for the first time in 2023 because the South Bend Cubs are once again on WSBT radio. Our program will be over at about 6.40 tonight because it's 6.45. It's pregame coverage of the Cubs and the Sky Carp, and the first pitch comes your way at 7.05 here on WSBT radio. And we'll be able to show off this great ballpark. The game's going to be live on the Marquee Sports Network as well. It may not be live, as a matter of fact, because I think the Cubs do play tonight. It's going to be shown at some point on the Marquee Sports Network. All right, coming up on the program this evening in our opening segment, a conversation with South Bend manager Lance Rimel and pitcher Sheldon Reed. Also, we'll talk a little Notre Dame draft with the NFL draft coming up. At 5.30, South Bend Cub broadcasters Max Toma and Brendan King will be stopping by my suite here at Four Winds Field. 
We've got our Twitter question of the day. We've got some Sizzler. And also coming up at about 6.20 tonight, we'll talk Notre Dame football recruiting with our Notre Dame football recruiting insider, Mike Singer. And always looking forward to that conversation with Mike as he will get you caught up on some key visitors coming to Notre Dame. They actually had a visitor Easter weekend, which is highly unusual. And also Mike is going to talk about some key Notre Dame safety prospects that you should keep an eye on. And there's a, a pretty good player with an interesting last name, an Erlocker, that we're going to talk about in this segment. He is the son of Chicago Bears legendary linebacker, the Hall of Famer, Brian Erlocker. So that's all coming up in a jam-packed Notre Dame football recruiting segment with Mike Singer at about 6.20 tonight here on WSBT Radio. But let's get this show started as we begin with our hat trick of opening topics on 960 AM WSBT. Of course, we're also streaming live at WSBTradio.com and on our free WSBT radio app. No Twitch app tonight since I'm on the road at Four Winds Field, just a couple of blocks from our new studios here in downtown South Bend. Let's begin the program by talking some baseball, in particular South Bend Cubs baseball. Lance Rimel is back as the manager of South Bend for a second consecutive year. He has deep roots within this Cubs organization. He was drafted by the Chicago Cubs, played a few years in the Cubs organization, and eventually the catcher put away the gear and became a coach, and now getting set for his second season in charge of South Bend, which is, of course, high A baseball in the Midwest League. We went back to the Midwest League name, which makes so much sense. Happy about that. So a chance to hear from a guy who the game of baseball has been a big part of his life from a youngster and now as a manager in professional baseball. I caught up with Lance actually just a couple of minutes ago before the show got underway. Give a listen. Well, Lance, you've been through opening days as a player and, of course, as a manager as well. I know you got three games under your belt, but tell me about how special tonight is. The banner you are part of is going to go up before the game and just opening night in general in South Bend. Yeah, I mean, tonight's a good time to reminisce when we hang that banner up and just think about all the good things that happened uh, with the South Bend Cubs last year. Um, definitely be fun to see that banner go up, but then it's uh, kind of turn the page and get ready for this year, right? New year, um, we started off great, sweeping quad cities and quad cities. Just really proud of this team. We've got a good group that works hard together and likes to play with each other, so uh, looking to forward to more good things here. What stood out from those opening three games? Pitching and defense for us. Um, they're all close game, one-run ball games, extra inning game, um, pitching and defense uh, by far. But that's how it usually is that first series. Bad pitching usually dominates. But uh, had some timely hits, though, when it counted, so I was able to sneak, uh, sneak away with quad cities for th with three wins. As we're talking about, you guys have pl played three games, but this is the home opener as a player and now as a manager. Is it extra special to get out here in front of the home fans for the first time? Oh, yeah, it's extra special. And then uh, how about this weather, right? Yeah. You don't ever see this in South Bend. So I think it's definitely bringing the, the energy to the clubhouse. Everyone's getting their work in. Uh, every, everybody's excited to see the sun early in April in South Bend. <laughs> well, the number three hitter in your lineup is Kevin Alcantara, a guy that gets a lot of attention. What have you learned about him and his skill set? Uh, he's he's going to be really, really good. Um, <laughs> 
like I said, I had, I had PCA last year, and to have Kevin this year, I mean, I feel really blessed to have those two guys running, running down balls in center field. Um, you can see, you, took, you saw his BP, how he just loses the ball out of the yard. He's a special kid and should be in Chicago to help the Cubs win in the near future. I think the old days of baseball, the big bulky guys hit home runs. I mean, he is tall and lanky. Where does the power come yeah, from? All that length, man. He <laughs> catches that ball, man. A lot of whip in that swing. Very strong kid for how lanky he is. Uh, but then our four-hole hitter behind him is your typical power guy, and he can he can lose the ball, too, out of the yard pretty quick as well. Yeah, I was going to ask you about Hayden McGreary. Watching him take batting practice, I thought he got jammed on a pitch and he hit it over the uh, the seats in left yeah. field. Tell me about his skill set. Yeah, that's some uh, easy pop when you can uh, get jammed and still hit a ball out. So um, he's he's learning how to work around the bag at first base. Uh, he was a catcher by trade, um, but we got to get his bat up in the lineup. So he's playing a lot of games at first base for us. Very excited um, for his development this year. I'm going to go back to the postseason just for a second because I remember I talked to you last year during the season about how some fans during the regular season do understand you don't get to manage a game like maybe a major league right. manager does. You have a set of relievers that are going to go every night and a number of pitches they got to throw. But in the postseason, did you get to act more like a major league manager? Yeah, I mean, uh, the front office did a good job of giving guys availability uh, at, at the utmost. Uh, sometimes they, they push those guys a little bit to be available. But uh, early on, like starting this year, you know, these guys have inning limits and pitch limits. So, um but uh, in in the playoffs, they're like, no, do what it takes to get to win. And uh, like I said, winning a winning a championship in an organization is is huge. Just for a, it's a W for the organization, right? It takes a lot of moving parts, behind the scene parts to win an organization at an affiliate. And uh, this this dub this championship goes up and down the Charles Cubs organization. Lance, just give me your thoughts on spring training and the mood around the organization. The Cubs have been building and building, and now it feels like they're ascending at this moment. Was there a different feel in spring training knowing that the guys you got in the system could make an impact very soon? Yeah, I think spring training is always, there's always a buzz, but then when you guys, you go out and sign with the shortstop, Swansby, like we did, and then you sign some gold glovers, you know, I think it sends a message to organization like, hey, we're wanting to win, we're wanting to win now. So um, that buzz of being around winning and winning again and having some urgency to win, I mean, you definitely could feel it. All right, finally, since you're a catcher back in your days as a player in the Cubs organization, tell me about the guys you got behind the dish on this team. Yeah, Casey Opitz, uh, he's he a returner from last year, University of Arkansas product, switch hitter, can really call a game, can really um, handle, control his bat, a strike zone when he's in the plate. So I'm um, very happy to have him back to kind of to kind of um, be a mentor to Ethan Hearn, who is our uh, other catcher. He's a young guy, high school draft kid from Mobile, Alabama. As he's pulled out, has a lot of pop from the left side, has a cannon behind the plate. Um, but he, needs, he just needs to continue to develop and continue to learn uh, the, the pitching staff. So um, I have really two, one-two good uh, one-two punch back there. Couldn't be more happier than what I have. So it's, it's excited to be uh, to get the season going in 2023. Do you guys have to teach the college catchers how to call a game? Because yeah, watching right. college yeah. games, it yeah. seems like they're always looking in the right. dugout yeah. for the pitch. Even high school and college guys, those, those pitches get called for them. So it's uh, we spent Clayton Morrison, my pitching coach, myself, um, we talk to these guys on a daily review video, uh, go over their go over their their game calls. So um, it's every day we're talking about how to get these guys better. So when they get to Chicago, they can just put it in neutral and, re- and and receive and worry about other things managing the game. Lance, thanks for the visit. Good yeah. luck tonight. Best of luck this season. I appreciate it. South Bend Cubs manager Lance Rimel. He's looking forward to watching that championship banner go up in center field in just about an hour. Here at Four Winds Field, and Lance has put together this lineup for opening night at Four Winds Field. Bradley Beasley, an undrafted Chicago Cub outfielder, will lead off and play right field. 
DJ Artis, who has been with the organization a good amount of time, injured pretty much all of last year. He'll bat second. He is the designated hitter. And then one of the top prospects in the Cubs system. Some have him as the number three prospect in the Chicago Cubs system. Center fielder Kevin Alcantara. And Lance is right. This guy is tall and lanky. And I mean tall and lanky. You won't miss him on the field. His nickname is the Jaguar, and I think it is the perfect nickname for Kevin. Hitting in the cleanup spot, guy with some pretty good pop. Looks like a guy that has good pop. First baseman Hayden McGreary. Batting fifth will be left fielder Johendrick Pinago. Hitting sixth, third baseman Fabian Pertuz, who homered in Quad Cities over the weekend. Kevin Motti, a young shortstop that the Cubs are excited about. He'll hit seventh. Casey Opitz will catch and hit eighth. Scott McKeon will bat ninth and play second base. And right-handed pitcher Connor Nolan will get the start for South Bend tonight on the mound. Again, first pitch at 7.05. A guy that could come out of the bullpen tonight is Sheldon Reed. He's from Bradley, South Carolina, attended Clemson University. He was a member of last year's Midwest League championship team here in South Bend. Three scoreless appearances in the postseason for Sheldon. One appearance under his belt in that series in Quad Cities. Two shutout innings, striking out four. And in 44 appearances at the minor league level, he's got a 3.29 earn run average. I talked some baseball and college football with Sheldon Reed just a few moments ago. Well, Sheldon, you've got a game under your belt already this year coming out of the South Bend Cubs bullpen. Two innings, shutout baseball, four strikeouts. How did it feel coming out of the gate? Oh, it felt good. Um, definitely some room to improve over the course of the season, but, I mean, I was definitely happy with how the first outing went for sure. I would imagine as a pitcher to get weather like this, you're probably okay with that? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm from South Carolina, so <laughs> I, I like the warm weather, not, not the cold stuff. I know you've been through opening days before, but this is the home opener for the South Bend Cubs. You are part of last year's championship team. So your thoughts, seeing the banner go up tonight, something you're a big part of, and just opening up the home schedule. Oh, it's awesome. Uh, I haven't really got a chance to, to win any real meaningful championships, so this, this is going to be a cool moment tonight for sure. What do you think about, what do you think about the ring you got? Oh, it's awesome. <laughs> a, I don't have it with me at the moment, but I, I'm excited to be able to get a chance to wear it for sure. How about the way your starting rotation began the year in Quad Cities? Those three guys didn't give up a run. Oh, it's awesome. I mean, we've worked with Morty and the whole pitching staff with the, the Cubs have. I mean, it's just they do a great job of getting us ready to come out here and, and dominate hitters. So that's just what they came out and did. Take me back to when you entered college. I understand you were an outfielder at first. Take me through what type of player you were and what led to the change to being a pitcher. Uh, yeah, so I was like an outfielder, first baseman. Uh, a lot, of, a lot of swing and miss, a lot of power, so it was a lot of swing and miss. And one day I just went to our head coach and said, can I, can I throw a bullpen because I pitched in college? And he said, sure. And I was like 90-91 on the mound, and they were like, we think we just want you to work on pitching. And I had a tough day on the on the pitching machine, swung and missed about 10 times in a row. And I was like, yeah, I think that's going to be it. I think I'm, I'm going to start pitching now. But wait, in today's baseball, strikeout homer, and that's kind of the thing, isn't it? So I think you would fit right in, right? Yeah, I don't know. I didn't didn't see too many guys throwing upper 90s, so, you know, I don't know how I'd be doing doing in minor league ball. Well, take me through the big difference. You played at Clemson, now coming to minor league baseball. You're, You're deep into your minor league career. Just what are your overall thoughts on the biggest difference leaving college baseball and now being a part of professional baseball? I'd say the biggest thing is you get a chance to develop 
Um, in college, it's a lot of win now. So some guys kind of get overlooked because they're not quite ready to help a team win, but they have a lot of potential. So I think that's probably the biggest thing is everybody just gets their opportunities to show what they can do. Like if you have a bad game, you're going to be back out there the next time. So it's just, you just always get your opportunity to go out and play. Now take me through as a right-handed pitcher, you jam a lefty in college with an aluminum bat in the pros with a maple bat. How different does the ball react? Uh, I mean, it's pretty cool to see a bat break. You, know, you, <laughs> yeah, don't, you, don't, normally, right. you don't normally see the metal bats break too often, so that's pretty cool to to get a chance to, to watch that break. But, I mean, I would say it probably comes off harder off the metal bat even if they get jammed, but I don't know that for a fact. Yeah, but it's nice to see those wooden bats. You know, the ball probably doesn't get to the outfield, yeah. maybe like the aluminum bat. So take me through being a part of this Cubs organization. Have they tweaked a lot in your mechanics, or have they added a pitch to your arsenal? Um, yeah, some minor tweaks. Uh, I've, I've added a splitter. Um, I've kind of been working on some different slider grips. I think I'm finally starting to get back to one I was throwing in college, honestly, so not too big of a change there. But other than that, they haven't really done a whole lot of changes, just trying to keep direction going towards home plate and not kind of falling towards third. Other than that, it's, it's pretty similar. Now, watching the World Baseball Classic, anybody that came into the game from Japan had a split-finger fastball, and those balls just disappeared from the middle of the plate to the feet of the hitters. How difficult was it to learn that pitch? And have you got pretty good command of it at this point? Yeah, I've, I've got pretty decent command of it now. Um, I, I worked on it kind of throughout the whole season last year, but I didn't throw it a whole lot. Uh, but that was a big emphasis for me this offseason and, and in spring training, and I'm, I'm feeling pretty comfortable with it. Clemson-Notre Dame, ACC matchup. Any games come to mind from that rivalry? Uh, football. <laughs> or baseball. Uh, I mean, football last year – it's a heartbreaker. They yeah, just, we won't talk about that. Yeah, uh, <laughs> coming off a bye, you know, they just get get smacked. But it is what it is. But fo- our baseball, I remember we we played them at home. They brought in Joe Boyle, who was throwing a hundred. Had like five innings on the year coming in halfway through the year, and he's throwing a hundred. <laughs> and then we we actually played him last year in Dayton, and he was starting, and he he threw really well against us. I don't I don't know if we got it. I think we got one hit wow. off of him. Now, at Clemson, did you have a regular mound or did you have a turf mound? No, we had a regular. Everything was was uh, grass and dirt. So I'm curious, just like when you went to Notre Dame to play, you have that artificial mound. Is it tough to adjust to that? And would you enjoy that being your normal mound day in and day out? Well, I actually didn't get a chance to travel to Notre Dame, but I have pitched on a turf mound, and I didn't, I didn't enjoy it too much. It's yeah. a little weird. It's like you can't dig in or yeah, anything. Yeah, yeah, you don't really get the best grip. It's just... It's a little different than throwing with spikes on a, on a normal dirt mound. I know at Notre Dame a couple of times the mound has collapsed, and oh, they had to wow. bring in one from the bullpen, so there's some good and bad with that. Finally, do you know when you're going to pitch this week coming out of the bullpen? Has that been said, or is it over the next couple of days? Um, I'm available tonight, but I, as a reliever, I don't really know. Never know. We'll just, whenever my name's called, I'll be ready. Well, we should have a big crowd here tonight for tonight's game. Enjoy opening night, and best of luck this year. Yes, sir. Thank you. That's Sheldon Reed of the South Bend Cubs coming out of the bullpen for manager Lance Rimmel. Our third and final hat trick of opening topic for tonight centers around Notre Dame football, the athletics, Dana Brugler, who does a great job analyzing prospects for the NFL draft. He has put out his draft guide, which is massive. And two players in particular I want to mention from Notre Dame that Dana has written about. The first is Michael Mayer. I've talked a lot about how many mock drafts have Dalton Kincaid of Utah going before Michael Mayer. 
and Kincaid's the first tight end coming off the board out of Utah. In fact, there was one mock draft. If I'm not mistaken, there's a couple that have Kincaid going 16 to the Washington Commanders. Michael Mayer goes 29th to the New Orleans Saints. Well, Dana Brugger of The Athletic has Mayer as his top tight end on the board, gives him a first-round grade, has him as the 19th best prospect in the draft. By the way, he has Kincaid number 20. One thing that Brugler said in his evaluation of Michael Mayer, with his body control and ball skills, Mayer is productive underneath and as a big seam target, using his frame and fluidity to be a pass-catching weapon. Although he lacks suddenness in his footwork, he doesn't strain as a route runner, and there are no wasted movements. Overall, Mayer needs to be more consistent with his blocking technique and execution, but his controlled athleticism, play strength through contact, and stellar intangibles raise his floor as a prospect. He projects as a traditional wide tight end with immediate NFL starting talent. I'm surprised more people haven't brought up the blocking. It's good, but I think it can take a couple of steps forward as he gets to the NFL. Brugler also evaluates Isaiah Foskey, the Irish edge rusher, the 60th best player in the draft, according to Brugler, the 11th best edge rusher. And he references Foskey, quote, although his pass rush plan and move-to-move transitions are underdeveloped, Foskey is a tough player to contain because of his revving motor and rangy chase skills up and down the line of scrimmage. He has active handwork but requires time to disengage from sustained blocks once reached, which leads to questions about his position fit. That's interesting. Overall, Foskey needs to be more consistent versus the run and his pass rush arsenal lacks variety. You know, that was talked about last year before going back to Notre Dame, so it doesn't sound like that was developed any further. However, he has promising traits, and his play speed and nonstop hustle raise his floor as an NFL player. He projects as an impactful sub-package rusher as a rookie with the talent to develop into a full-time edge rusher. That's Dana Brugler, Brugler excuse me, of The Athletic. His thoughts on Notre Dame's Michael Mayer and Isaiah Foskey. I'm Darren Pritchett, live from Four Winds Field, site of tonight's South Bend Cubs home opener, which begins at 7.05 here on WSBT Radio. A timeout. When we return, we'll talk a little more baseball. South Bend Cub broadcasters Max Toma and Brendan King will join me in a moment here on WSBT. Approval. on your home of the Fighting Irish. The Blue Gold game April 22nd in the South Bend Cubs. Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Of course, as always, streaming live at WSBTradio.com and on our free WSBT radio app. Well, the South Bend Cubs are 3-0, and that's the first time they have started 3-0 since the South Bend Cubs came about in 2015. They're the defending champions, so there's a lot of extra oomph in the air, I think, tonight for opening night here at the ballpark, and the gates are already open, and we've got temperatures in the 70s, and it reminds me of opening day 2015. Theo Epstein walked out throughout the first pitch. The rain stopped. The clouds went away. The sun came out. We had 70 degrees. The power of Theo, guys, you know. (laughs) He could pull off anything, but I'm joined by Brendan King and Max Toma, the voices of the South Bend Cubs here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Happy opening day, guys. Thanks, Darren. Thanks for having us. Good to see you guys. Well, first, Brendan, you were with the team in Quad Cities, a 3-0 start. 
bats were a little quiet, but when your starters don't give up any runs, I guess it's a whole lot easier to win ball games. Yeah, not bad. Huh? I mean, the what they put together, and Richard Gallardo being the opening day starter, Darren. You know, Richard Gallardo finished the year in South Bend last year, then he got a spot start at Double A Tennessee. He actually left the team before the playoffs last year. So Tennessee let him finish the campaign. So not sure what that did for his confidence. I'm not sure what his final numbers were that day. But just to get that opportunity, he came out slinging on Friday. Then Luke Little was just as fantastic on Saturday. Brandon Birdsell made his pro debut on Sunday, the right-hander out of Texas Tech. And, you know, Darren, the South Bend Cubs, seven and two-thirds no-hit innings on Saturday night. And then on Sunday, they took a no-hitter through five. So if your pitching is that good, you're going to win some ball games. And, guys, that's something we haven't had the luxury of here in South Bend. There's been a lot of good hitters come through. The The pitching was a little hit and miss, but it kind of sounds like this might be a team that's got a lot of depth, not only in the starting rotation, but in the bullpen. So, Max, what is kind of your expectations for what Lance Rimmel has to work with arms-wise? Well, I mean, one, all things are pointing up, kind of like you said, coming off, you know, de- defending that, the defending uh, Midwest League champs is great. 3-0 start is fantastic. I mean, the pitching, it, it can't get any better than it was over the weekend. You mentioned the starters numbers, the bullpen only, allow- only allowing two runs uh, over the weekend, two earned runs, that is. Uh, the piggybackers seem just as good as a lot of the starters who will get lengthened out as the yep. season goes. You know, we got guys throwing, you know, three, four innings. We'll, we'll see what, uh, you know, Connor Nolan does today. Really excited to see this ninth-round pick who was the, the ace on Friday nights for Arkansas last year. He was pitching in the College World Series twice last year, wow. just threw absolute gems. His last outing in college came in the game to try to make it to the championship series. They lost to Ole Miss, but he went eight innings, gave up just two. Wow. But the guy going for Ole Miss that day went in the sixth round, complete game shutout. They lost <laughs> 2 nothing. Wow. But he was money in the College World Series. He's going to be a guy that we see pitching at the pro level for the first time today. So, yeah, just a lot of great arms. And you think, like, you know, a guy who we've seen many times here at Cole Franklin's going to eventually progress. Yeah. But maybe coming up is a guy in a first-round pick, top ten pick in Kate Horton maybe in the second half of the year. So the arms are exciting. Back of the bullpen with Sheldon Reed, who was just incredible. Gave up one run in his last 11 outings to end last nice. year. He closes on a game over the weekend. He closed out the championship game in Northeast Ohio. So I think we're feeling pretty good. Got a lot of veteran old guys who have been here, 15 returners from last year, uh, but also some young guys and some really not even that young guys like Nolan, who we'll see today, who's 23 but making his debut. 48% curveball guy last year. So we'll, we'll see what he looks like opening day. I have to say this as someone that's a baseball traditionalist. I don't like things to change in the game. I absolutely love the pitch clock. I love no shifting anymore at the major league level. But you guys experienced it last year, the bigger bases, which... You don't really notice the bigger Yeah, I'm not sold on the pizza boxes yet. I'm seeing them for the first time in person. It's like, wow, they're big. But I'm just wondering your guys' thoughts because... My last year, games were going four hours. I mean, it was... Especially at home. Oh, it was horrible. I mean, it just drug on and on. But last year was totally different. Describe how you think the game has changed for the better. Well, I mean, I think there's the speed and pace of play. I heard an interview, you know, when they were doing uh, on an ESPN game a couple days ago, the in-game stuff they do now with Manny Machado. And he was just talking about how the shifts have also not only more base hits, higher averages, more runs, which we all love, but you're showcasing more of the athleticism of guys on the infield because they're having to range further and make plays that they weren't asked to make before because you got a guy who's, you know, 80 feet out into right field who's right there for a line drive as opposed to a second baseman who's more up the middle trying to range all the way to his left to make that play. But, yeah, I mean, I think opening day last year, 
year we went 10 innings. It was about as long as you know, you're used to going. <laughs> Last year it was 39 degrees, first pitch opening day. It was snowing in the 10th. And then, uh, you know, BK got to call that game, the first game with the pitch clock last year on the road in Fort Wayne. DJ Hur is pitching mm. hour and 59, hour 57, wow. whatever it was. So the pace of play is tremendous. There's just so much less downtime. There's so much actual more baseball. And the, the lacking of the shift, you know, uh, with the pickoff moves increasing stolen bases, I, I think everything's just kind of going in the right direction. Yep. Like, like you said, the pizza box is out there. I, I don't think that plays into play. It's kind of a fun little tidbit to see yeah. it next to the old ones, but... Yeah, everything's moving the right way. BK? I, I just think it's kind of funny that, and well warranted, that everybody at the big league level is kind of reacting to it now so positively. But yeah. we look at each other like, we've been living the life <laughs> of the last year and a half. You know, but I was actually having a conversation before I left Indy two weeks ago with the great play-by-play voice of the Indianapolis Indians, Howard Kelman. He's been doing games down there for 45 years. Guy's literally seen it all. And he says that he likes this version of the pitch clock because it's actually being enforced. He said AAA, for some reason, it started in AAA, and it was not enforced whatsoever. Umpires could care less about it. Everybody's grumpy and in AAA. That's uh, AAA, the problem. AAA is just a different beast. So, right? so now mean. people are actually enforcing it, and you're running into the Manny Machado stuff. And uh, I was at a Boston Red Sox spring training game, and Joey Gallo got rang up on an automatic strike three. So <laughs> once everybody's accustomed to it, I think it's going to flow just fine. But – I mean, again, we've been used to it for a long time, but the guys like DJ Hers that pitch at quick paces, we played 10 innings on Friday. It's back-to-back years of opening day that went to extra innings. It was only two hours and 45 minutes. So so doable. Love fun. that. Love that. Max Toma, Brendan King, my guest. So, Brendan, tell me about Kevin Alcantara. I think many people believe number three, number four prospect in the Chicago Cubs system. I was telling our listeners a few moments ago, tall, lanky and the ball explodes off his bat what have you seen from him so far so i think you just watched him take batting practice right the first time i watched him hit it actually reminded me just of the pure power nelson velasquez the first time we saw nelly because alcantara i think is a little bit more developed than nelson was the first time we saw him in 2018 he struck out every time he came up pretty much it was rough nelson came back in 19 back in the braces yeah it was a big part of that championship team in 19 right and then he had another run here in 2021 and now he's getting called up back up to the big leagues but the point of Alcantara being he's more developed than Velasquez was at this age but Alcantara he looks like a stretch four he looks like he belongs on the college basketball good court point. and yeah. he can run he's got a good glove and reading some stuff you know Pete Crow Armstrong is like the number one when it comes to defending in the system but a lot of people point to his defense in center that it's sort of just a step below and he had no problem with Quad City. You know how Quad Cities works off the Mississippi River? That yeah. wind is nuts. Yeah. He had no problem with it. No kidding. Yeah. So who else stands out, Max, in this lineup? Who has caught your attention, or who are you looking forward to seeing? Well, I'm excited to see a couple of returners that, you know, I'd like to talk about, like a guy like Fabian Pertuz, who, who's kind of a small guy but played in the World Baseball Classic with Columbia, got some experience, got okay. to start at second against Team USA. You know, there's pictures of him making a double play with Trout in the photo. Nice. You know, he's feeling the ground ball. <laughs> Mookie Betts is in the foreground. But he's a guy who uh, had the first Cubs home run last year, did so again this year. Uh, actually had the highest fly ball rate of any Chicago Cubs farmhand last year, so we'll see if he can – keep the ball in the air and see if he can send a few more out this year. A guy who's just had so many ABs and games played, but another one is just we've seen so many outfielders get called up. You know, the PCAs, the Owen yep. Casey's, the Jordan Wogus. You know, somebody had to stay behind so they could still play every day and still progress, and that guy is Yohendrick Pinango in the outfield. 
who's still, you know, just so young. He was here all of last year, finished 21 here. But a guy who, man, when this guy is going, he's kind of one of those old school guys where he's got pop, but he'll hit the ball just about anywhere in the park. He has no sweet spot because he's like hmm. he's like a Vlad Guerrero where he'll he'll chase anything, but really he can hit a pitch that's pitched anywhere. Yeah. And you know his July last year he had back to back series where he had five, over he had uh, yeah five multi hit games in a series. So he had a 12 game span where he had 10 multi hit games. When he's grooving, I mean it's a sight to watch, and I'm excited to see him facing Midwest League pitching now for the second full year. Okay, I'm going to put you on the spot now. Ooh. All right, so 2024. Chicago Cubs opening day outfield. Now, I'm going to help you out. I will predict that Ian Happ gets traded <laughs> at the deadline. Oh. So that opens up some young guys. So who do you think would be the opening day outfield for the Cubs next year? So this is next season. Next, next season. Spring. Next season. 24. Opening day. Velasquez and Wright. Okay. Well, say uh, – that's the thing because Suzuki's Suzuki, coming yeah, back. Suzuki's going to be back. So give me Suzuki and right. Depend. It all depends on what Pete Crow Armstrong does at Double well, A this you'd, year. Because you'd love to see him in center opening day. I think a lot Pete, of people have him starting as you know a potential center fielder. But that's year. what I love so much about them signing Bellinger. Is is Cody Bellinger going to be an MVP? I don't know. But that's just like a little window to get PCA to center. So. Low truly, risk, trade him. Yeah, it truly yeah. does depend on what happens with PCA at double-A. What, what, what happens with Brendan in a rebound year from man, a year short There's just so many too. choices. That's I, why I'm asking. Yeah. And, yeah. and Canario's going to come back in a couple months, too. You know, that's Holy a guy who could be out there. He's farther down the list for me. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm no, a Davis, Armstrong, Suzuki guy. Hell, that, me, that's yeah, my give thought. Me, give me Suzuki. I think that's what mine would have been. I think you might be able to throw in. They still could play Morrell in center. Technically, too. You could, you could okay. put morale just about anywhere on the diamond so, and be content so help, with it, right? So help me understand this. Now, I'm a morale fan. They put Mastroboni on the Major League roster and even Madrigal's up there. Are they just wanting morale to play every day? Is that yeah. why he's not with the big club? And they're giving him opportunities every day at third base, which I really like because yeah. Patrick, there's a hole there. I mean, it, well, yeah. I mean, yeah. Pat, it's not like you know, Patrick Wisdom's been a great ball player. but he Patrick home Wisdom, runs. Yeah, he hits home yeah. runs. But Patrick Wisdom isn't necessarily part of the future course. So to get – Chris at bats every day at Triple A at third base. At, remember his arm in nineteen. Oh my goodness! Made oh. Baez seem like a soft tosser. <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow! Yeah, I think the nice thing is you got a, a plethora of young, incredible options to talk about. Which not every organization obviously has the kind of outfield depth that Chicago's farm system does. Well, I'll tell you what. One guy I'm thrilled that's having success at the major league level is Justin Steele. He was here, and he had not developed his slider yet, and I'll go on the record. This is Darren's opinion. But I'm not sure the pitching coach helped him and a couple other guys a lot that year. Might have derailed him a little bit because he's become a totally different pitcher. He had a 5 ERA here in South Bend. And, you know, guys, when you see a guy, you see the it factor like, oh, that's it. It didn't show then. But, boy, is it showing now. And his stuff is as good as anybody, I think, on that Cubs roster right now. Well, keep in mind, too, that after that year in South Bend, which I believe was his second year as a pro. Yeah. Cubs sign John Lester. Cubs eventually trade for Cole Hamels. He has those lefties to learn from at spring training. That's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. So is this Cub thing, is it going to last all summer? Is this going to be a team that can finish over 500? What do you think? Here in South Chicago Bank? Cubs. We'll, yeah. we'll go Chicago Cubs, and then we'll work to South Bend Cubs. Personally, uh, this BK opinion. I, uh, this is somebody is somebody yeah. writing these down? Yeah, yeah. yeah. we're yeah. going to bring these back on August 15th. <laughs> we're going to have you on the show. Freezing cold takes is going to be rewound. Yeah. I think it's a wild card team. Especially if Suzuki, if Suzuki comes back healthy, it's a wild card team. I love the depth. 
And to me, the ultimate mystery is Hosmer's off to a pretty good start. Yeah, right. If Hosmer ever tails off, which I hope it doesn't because Hosmer seems like a good guy. Seems like a good guy. Easy guy to root for. beat balls into the ground at second. Who's waiting? Matt Mervis is crushing home runs at AAA right now, and he is the guy. Remember, he started here last year. Double A hit. He hit 350 here, 300 at Double A, 300 again at Triple A. Chicago Cubs minor league player of the year. Pretty cool. 36 home runs, not bad. Not yeah. bad. Yeah, yeah not I think better. they're a wild card team in a literal and a figurative sense. I mean, I think they they could you know they could their team that could drop off. They're a team that could you know really start playing some quality ball. But I, I like what you said there. That's like question mark at first base where it's nice to have if Hosmer does fall off. Yeah. I mean, I think people have been waiting for a Matt Mervis. I mean, who would have thought when we started last year and we looked at last year's South Bay Cubs roster team. Uh, but Matt Mervis, a guy who didn't hit well at Myrtle Beach, which we, we know is very pitcher-friendly, uh, and especially not hitter-friendly to left-handed batters. But, I mean, the season that he had with those 36 home runs and just mm. many RBIs as anybody's had in minor leagues since Pete Alonzo did it in 2019. Crazy. I mean, uh, a guy who, if he steps in and is hitting anything close to the way he's done in the minors the last you know, Incredible. year and a couple weeks now, uh, that could be a certain – a piece, and we'll see what the starting rotation does. I mean, I feel like Justin Steele's a guy who has kind of developed into a guy. Every time he goes out there, you feel like you got a pretty good chance to win. Well, plus the way Stroman's pitching, uh, off to a dynamite start, too. And you're in a good division yeah. compared to the East and the West. Central's yeah, the division they, to be in. Yeah, yeah. and it, it's an interesting division to watch, right, because the, the Cardinals had that interesting start. Jordan Walker, you got a 20-year-old out there playing right, who, who we've all seen, who's just a terrific yep. guy. The Brewers are just, like, super young. they got start. some young they guns coming. Kind of like the Cubs, where they yep. just have a ton yep. of young outfielders yep. out there that are all their top prospects are out there. Do you see what happened to O'Neill Cruz? Yeah. Yes. Oh. That was a late slide, I thought. Yeah. I, just, I was totally, Very late. Yeah, I, yeah. That was totally okay. The throw took the catcher there. The slide is really late. I mean, I felt like that was kind of self-induced. I agree. Yeah. I, I thought the Pirates Max were upset take. about Max nothing. Max self-induced. i got to put me down for one. So. All right. Sounds good. Well, guys, you do a great job on WSBT Radio calling these games. Always enjoy listening. Have a wonderful year. Road trips, I know, are always fun. Hey, you stay in better hotels than I did. <laughs> man, oh, man. You I guys, caught the tail end of it, though, in 18. Uh, yeah, you yeah, did. Yeah, you yeah. did. So you, you appreciate yeah, the good I, hotels it, you have I, now. I, I do. I'm spoiled. He's spoiled. Yeah. <laughs> you are spoiled. So very good. Hey, guys, have a great call tonight throughout the season. We'll catch up again soon. Thanks, DP. Sounds good. Thanks All right, Max Toma, Brendan King, you will hear them here on WSBT Radio. Pre-game coverage will start in 57 minutes with the first pitch at 7.05. More Sports Beat in a moment, live from Four Winds Field on WSBT. This is the Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. I'm Darren Pritchett back live at Four Winds Field in downtown South Bend. South Bend Cubs home opener tonight against the Sky Carp from Beloit. First pitch at 7.05 here on WSBT Radio. Pre-game coverage with Max and Brendan comes your way at 6.45. How about our Twitter question of the day results? Yesterday's program, I posted this question on my Twitter account at 960 Sportsbeat. Brooks Kepka was one of 18 golfers who played in the Masters who left the PGA Tour to join the controversial Saudi-backed Live Tour. Now, during the Masters... Was your rooting interest affected if the player was a live golfer? Brooks Kepka, Patrick Reed, Phil Mickelson, Sergio Garcia, Cameron Smith, just some of the players that we were familiar with on the PGA Tour that took a boatload of money 
and went and played on the Live Golf Tour. So, watching the Masters, was your rooting interest affected whether they were a PGA Tour player or a Live Golfer? So, on Twitter, I gave you a couple of choices. Number one, you rooted against the Live Golfers. Number two, it didn't matter if they were a Live Golfer or not. And choice number three was that you cheered for them. Here are the results. Coming in third place, 10.5%. Didn't matter if they were a live golfer or not. If you like the golfer, you cheer for them. And I'm sure there's a few people in the Phil Mickelson camp that still cheers for him despite being one of the faces and the main faces of the live golf tour. Coming in second place, getting 42.1% of the vote. You rooted against the live golfers. You know, and I'm not surprised by that. The Saudis who are putting up all the money for this golf tour are involved in some awful things, to be quite frank, and not getting into a political conversation, but a lot of stuff that's not good. And I totally get if you turn your back on those golfers. So 42.1% said they were rooting against them. And winning the vote, just slightly ahead of that total, 47.4%. It didn't matter if they were a Live Golf Tour member or not. You would cheer for them no matter what. We thank you so much for voting. Greatly appreciate it. I think definitely CBS was affected by those Live Golfers being in the Masters. CBS, a longstanding partner with the PGA Tour. They don't want to promote the Live Golf Tour. It does them no good to do so for them to get everything they want out of their contract with the PGA Tour. You want the PGA Tour to be the best and make everything else look like chopped liver. And so I thought it was interesting, unless a player was at the top of the leaderboard, they didn't show him very often. I didn't think they showed Phil Mickelson a whole lot the first couple of rounds of the Masters, and he was a guy that you saw every one of his shots in the past. But once he got in contention, you know, they showed him a whole lot more. But I think it definitely affected their coverage. Now, they had to show Brooks Kepka because he was in the lead most of the way or was in the final pairing, so that's a different story. But they didn't go out of their way to promote the live golfers. In fact, I think Jim Nance did a little, I guess, a little poke in the gut to the live golf tour when Brooks Kepka hit a ball down the fairway and it landed in the crosswalk area where the patrons walk across and you get a free drop if the ball lands in that area. Nan said Brooks Kepka is on the CW, the crosswalk. Well, the CW is where the Live Golf Tour is shown in America. So just a, a slight little jab by Nance to the Live Golf Tour. We thank you for voting. Here is today's question since we're at Four Winds Field tonight. If the price of tickets, parking, and concessions were the same, which would you rather do? Choice number one, drive to Chicago, sit at Wrigley Field, and watch the Chicago Cubs. Choice number two, make the short drive to Four Winds Field in downtown South Bend to watch the South Bend Cubs. So if tickets, concessions, parking were all the same price, which would you rather do? Go to Chicago, Wrigley Field to watch the Chicago Cubs or just come downtown 
to Four Winds Field to watch the South Bend Cubs. You can vote on this question right now on my Twitter account at 960 Sportsbeat. We'll have the results tomorrow, and a brand-new question comes your way on Wednesday's program. It is 5.58 at Sports Radio 960. WSBT, Darren Pritchett for Four Winds Field. We'll take a timeout. We've got a sports update coming up in a couple of moments here on WSBT. Show me the money. We go with Sizzler. We go with Sizzler. It is 6.09 at WSBT. We'll talk Notre Dame football recruiting with Mike Singer from Blue and Gold Illustrated in our next segment. Right now, a little Sizzler. My suggestions from yesterday. Let's run through those. They turned out pretty good. Doing some research on the Cubs-Mariners game last night, I took the home underdog, the Cubs on the money line against the Mariners because the Cubs had hammered Seattle starter Luis Castillo when he was a member of the Reds. The Cubs, who are still active, 330 with a 372 on base, including Ian Happ, 8 for 25, and Matt Hos- uh, Eric Hosmer, excuse me, 10 for 16. So I took the Cubs on the money line at plus 120. You bet 10, you win 22. Worked out. The Cubs won in extra innings, 3-2. Went with St. Louis on the money line at Colorado. That did not work out. The favorite on the road lost to the Rockies, 7-4. I took the Guardians on the money line against the Yankees at minus 135 based on the fact that Shane Bieber starting for Cleveland. The Yankees only hit 243 against him, 329 on base, including Aaron Judge, 1-for-11 with six strikeouts. That was a good choice. Guardians topped the Yankees, 3-2. And the other suggestion from last night, Diamondbacks on the money line against the Brewers at minus 150. I took the Diamondbacks because Zach Gallon was on the mound in Milwaukee against Gallon, only hit 225 with a 262 on base. Christian Yelich, one for eight with four strikeouts. Willie Adamas, 0 for five. That's a big part of their lineup. That was a good choice. Diamondbacks won 3 nothing. So three and one start to the week. Good start to April, 17 and eight. And now for the season, 101-85. And two. Four suggestions for tonight. We start with the Rays and the Red Sox. Tampa going for an 11 0 start. I'm going to take the Rays on the run line at minus one and a half. They have to win by two to win the wager. You get that at plus 120. You bet 10. You win $22. Shane McClanahan against Garrett Whitlock. I will take my chances. Cubs and Mariners at Wrigley Field. I'm going under. Ten and a half total runs in the game at minus 115. Hayden Wesneski against Chris Flexen. I love Wesneski. I am in his fan club, and I think he's going to be great tonight. I've got the Rockies plus one and a half runs at home against St. Louis at minus 105. You bet 10. You win 19.52. Kyle Freeland, I think he's a really good Rocky starter. Last time Miles Michaelis went to Colorado, he got creamed by the Rockies. So we'll take the Rockies plus one and a half runs. And we'll wrap things up with a Major League Baseball two-team parlay. Angels on the money line against the Nats. And the Twins on the money line against the White Sox at plus 119. And I'm going to go with that because Otani is pitching for the Angels against the weak Nats. And I think the Twins will bounce back at home against the White Sox. Sportsbeat tonight brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Sports fans, this Bud's for you. By Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, now with three locations to serve you. Barnaby's the family inn. 
by the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org and Bethel University Adult and Graduate Studies. Visit BethelUniversity.edu slash solid ground for details. After a timeout, Notre Dame football recruiting talk with Blue and Gold's Mike Singer on WSBT. Budweiser's weekday sports beat continues on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. WSBTradio.com the WSBT radio app and on Twitch as Darren Pritchett talks Notre Dame football recruiting with Blue and Gold Illustrated insider Mike Singer. It is time once again for a Tuesday tradition on Budweiser's weekday sports beat. We talk Notre Dame football recruiting with Notre Dame football recruiting insider Mike Singer. Of course, you can always catch our interview on Budweiser's weekday sports beat and also a video feed of our conversation, always available on the Blue and Gold YouTube channel. I'm going to say we have some Mike Singer Georgia weather right now here in South Bend. Finally, it is beautiful, sunshine, 70 degrees. I mean, let's bring all the recruits in now, Mike. I mean, this is Chamber of Commerce weather right now. We never have snow around here. And it's a big recruiting month, Darren. So, yeah, that will uh, that will definitely uh, take place. You betcha. Hey, let's talk about Easter week. And we actually had a visitor. Who was that? You know, I wrote an article on this young man at BlueandGold.com today. And, and the opening sentence was, look, Easter weekend's really not a recruiting one for Notre Dame. Uh, not only because kids, you know, aren't usually traveling Easter weekend, but also because I mean, it, it's Notre Dame. But when... You know, a top safety target wants to visit campus. You 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 have him on campus. So Marquise Gaia goes from uh from West Hills, California, Chaminade High School, nation's number two hundred nineteen overall player, number twenty safety, um, in the country. This was his second time to Notre Dame in total. Um, his first being for the spring game a year ago. So it was good to get him on campus. Long time target for the Fighting Irish. Chris O'Leary offered him. I want to say for Pot of Gold Day last year. Hmm. So it was a March offer of twenty twenty two. Notre Dame's been recruiting for a long time, got him back up on campus, and Guy Ghost told me that um, he is looking to schedule an official visit for Notre Dame and eyeing the weekend of June 9th. So, you know, Notre Dame's at how many commitments now? Nine, nine or so, and no safety commits yet. Uh, I would believe that O'Leary would be ecstatic if Guy Ghost is to join the fold for the Fighting Irish. Visit went really well. Um, Chad Bowden O'Leary spent you know a lot of time with them for that that two day visit. Marcus Freeman uh, was involved with Guy Ghost's visit as well. So um, yeah, I, I mean Notre Dame battling USC, you know, the, kind of the considered the favorite with them being the local school. But uh, I, he was at Michigan and Michigan State while in the Midwest too. So with it, it's hard to kind of get a um, a strong vibe on where exactly he's leaning. He was at he's going to Oklahoma next weekend. So a lot of schools still in the mix for this four-star safety, but Notre Dame, when it comes to decision time, will definitely be a finalist. Okay. Cliff Kingsbury going to USC now as a coach. That's kind of an interesting development there for the Trojans. Now let's focus on this week. We're starting to wind down spring practice, the spring game, a little over a week away. Is this a big recruiting week in terms of visitors on campus? Yeah, it's crazy how fast the spring ball has gone by that, that we're already near in the end. So I had been talking about on your show and in my shows on our Blue and Gold YouTube channel that this was going to be a little bit of a quieter week. And it is compared to the 22nd, but it's a lot busier with with these big-time prospects than I thought. Um, you got you got a 
several, and we're just going to go through a few of them, Darren. Kennedy Erlocker, um, safety target for Notre Dame. The Irish offered him a few weeks ago. Not the highest-ranked guy. He's a three-star across the board, but someone who uh, Notre Dame's pretty excited about. Um, did I mention who his father was in this little blurb? Yeah, I mean, you, yeah, you can imagine who that is. Um, yeah, 6'1", 180 pounds. He hits, you know, like a truck. No surprise given his uh, his lineage um, listed as a safety, but a lot of folks think that he could end up playing linebacker. So Kennedy Erlocker, I projected um, him to land at Notre Dame with a prediction, I want to say, a few weeks ago, Darren. Uh, let's take a look. February 28th. So you know, a little over a month, I, I've been, you know, uh, in the belief that, you know, Erlocker is trending towards Notre Dame. Um, and his visit is this weekend. Notre Dame, I think, has only offered a couple offensive linemen in the 2025 class, and here's one from Wisconsin, Owen Strebig, um, number seven offensive tackle in his in his recruiting cycle, number 75 overall player, 6'7", 295 pounds, and uh, he's a sophomore. Even at, let's just say those numbers are embellished a little bit, Darren. Let's just say he's 6'6", 285. <laughs> okay, 6'6", 285 as a sophomore. This kid's massive. Um, you know, uh, I Big Wisconsin offensive lineman, you know, hey, go get those guys from the Badgers if you can. Notre Dame hasn't been won many recruiting battles against the Badgers in the state of Wisconsin. Of course, you know, landed uh, Billy Strauss to end a 20-year drought for Notre Dame going into Wisconsin, which is absolutely crazy considering the distance. Um, but that just kind of goes to show the uh, the fence that the Badgers built around Wisconsin. But Notre Dame looking to change that in the 2025 cycle. Visiting, I want to say, is it is it Wednesday? Darion Dupree from Chicago Mount Carmel, running back target, three-star prospect, someone who we got to see at Irish Invasion last year. He is going to be on campus midweek, uh, his first time since picking up an offer from Notre Dame um, last week. Um, I think that's good news for the Fighting Irish. Quincy Porter, um, you know, a four-star athlete from Bergen Catholic in Oradell, New Jersey, um, making his way um, to Notre Dame uh, midweek as well. Same high school that Notre Dame and Steve Angeli from. I always say when Notre Dame offers a Bergen Catholic kid, they've got a pretty good shot to be a, a finalist um, for that player. And uh, six three hundred ninety pounds. I mean, what is he feeding these kids? Sophomores? <laughs> these guys are massive. Um, a receiver target for Chancey Stuckey visiting um, this week, Darren. For a radio audience, you wouldn't know Erlocker, the son, is related to Brian because. In the picture that Mike showed, he has a big, big amount of hair, a large amount of hair, I should say. Of course, Brian, when he played for the Bears, he was bald, although I think he's added some follicles after retiring from the Chicago Bears. Technology is a beautiful thing. Yeah, I mean, playing for the Bears would make you pull your hair out. (laughs) Unlike being a Dolphins fan, right? Oh, yeah, let's not get started on that. (laughs) <laughs> I already got some grays from being a Dolphins fan. Dude. I hear you. He's Mike Although Singer. my days in my 20s are numbered. <laughs> Mike Singer, Notre Dame football recruiting insider, Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. I'm Darren Pritchett. We're on Budweiser's weekday sports beat on WSBT Radio and Blue and Gold's YouTube channel. Let's get to the 2024 recruiting cycle, and let's focus on the wide receiver position. The novice recruiting fan might say, Notre Dame cleaned up in the last class with all those wide receivers. How important is it to get more big names in this 24 class? So why don't you start there? Yeah, I don't know if anyone's actually saying that, Darren. I, I, <laughs> I think the goal is 
assign 25 five stars. Um, and anything less than that is unacceptable. Of course. You know, I, I say that with a little bit of sarcasm, but I mean, let's, let, let, let's be honest. So yeah, the 2023 receiver cycle is outstanding with great house, Flores, James, and don't forget about Caleb Smith um, from Texas. Someone who I know the staff is really excited about and could be the sleeper um, for Notre Dame. But, you know, looking at this 24 cycle, Darren, I wanted to touch on this. I, on Monday, I wrote an article, the gold standard, uh, that, I, that I post every Monday. And this one was looking at kind of the latest in receiver recruiting. And um, it, it had some pretty good discussion on our blue and gold message board. And I gave kind of a projected three-man class. I'm expecting it to be three. This is always subject to change when you're, when you're talking about recruiting numbers um, at, at a position in a given cycle. But three is what I'm hearing right now. So I wanted to go through it because some Notre Dame fans were not very excited about this class and, and um, I thought it was kind of ridiculous. Hmm. So first, you have Kay Williams locked in. I mean, he's a borderline five-star. Um, I mean, on three's own rankings as in the number 29 player number seven receiver, the industry rankings, basically the same. He's already committed and he's 100% locked in. Um, good friends with CJ Carr. It looks like good friends with CJ Carr. They, they visited campus together Thursday. That connection is really good. You, you absolutely love to see that. So a borderline five-star committed right away. Remember as good as that great house, if we're just going to go off of recruiting rankings, Cam is ranked higher than those three. Or, or four, I should say, wow. that the Notre Dame signed. It's not even close. Those guys were like, you know, the top, you know, fringe top 100 or into the 200s, you know, nationally ranking-wise, at their position between like 20 and 35. Here's Cam at number seven. And it's early. He could rise. He could fall. You never know. Um, but that's a that's a darn good start. When we're talking about visiting soon, I didn't mention Jason Robinson because I knew we were going to talk about him now. He's visiting on, I think it's Monday or Tuesday of next week. Um, I mean, he's a four-star receiver Notre Dame's been after for a long time. Former USC commit, a dynamic slot receiver, a really exciting prospect, Darren. Um, I think Notre Dame fans, you pop on Jason Robinson's tape. He's exciting. Attends high school at Long Beach Poly, which is considered a USC feeder school, but he committed from the Trojans already. He's still considering USC. Also really likes the Colorado Buffaloes with Deion Sanders and, and Cal is another contender for Jason Robinson. But people I've talked to, multiple sources like where Notre Dame's at here, and this visit this upcoming week could be big. So talking about Cam Williams, who I love on the outside, Jason Robinson as this slot receiver, and Isaiah Canyon, who we've talked about a good bit in recent months, 6'2 and a half, 193 pounds, a superb athlete, flown a little bit under the radar because he played a lot of quarterback at the high school level. Uh, but his receiver tape, how he can run, he's a really good prospect. Um, he picked up his first offer, I want to say it was like two months ago, so he's really blown up um, here in recent weeks. Um, and, and Blue and Gold first reported that he was going to be at, for the spring game um, next weekend. Um, so that that's huge news. So Canyon, Williams, Robinson, I think that would be an outstanding receiver class. Um, you know, rankings-wise, you know, we we'll talk about that in a few months. <laughs> Let's see where those guys are at their senior season with these rankings. But if you're asking me, I would be fired up about that. And there's some other receiver um, prospects we could talk about. I did want to mention quickly Micah Gilbert from Charlotte Christian, teammate of um, Irish target uh, Bryce Young, son of Bryant Young, of course. 
Um, so maybe Notre Dame could have a, a twofer there at Charlotte Christian. And then at Charlotte Catholic, Notre Dame already has Jack Larson committed. So, yeah, Notre Dame to Charlotte. Maybe there's a new pipeline there. But Micah Gilbert uh, believe that um, he'll probably get up to Notre Dame, I would imagine, this spring. If not, uh, we'll definitely – I would assume we'll take an official this summer to South Bend. So um, those are some of the big names on the receiver board, Darren. And I think it's – I think Notre Dame and Chancey Stucky are in a pretty good spot for the 24 class there. Mike, let's go to the other side of the football for a moment and talk about the safety position. I think there's obviously a need to continue to upgrade the talent at that particular position. In fact, I know Coach O'Leary even mentioned, hey, there's a chance we might even pick up a grad transfer in the next couple of weeks. So there might be urgency now, and of course – you have to build up the depth again at the safety position. Are there some names Irish fans should be listening for? Yeah. In terms of O'Leary's comment, any time a coach is going to say, yeah, we, we might look at the transfer report, that's going to be huge, right? Like, that's a big talking point with the media. But to be completely honest with you guys, they're doing that at every position. Yep. Maybe they're not going to do it at quarterback, you know, or maybe not, you know, uh, another defensive end because they got Javante Jean Baptiste, or maybe not another hybrid nickel safety because they got you know the Harper kid from Oklahoma State. But like everywhere else, they're they're always looking. So I, I kind of like yeah, maybe us media folks are like, oh, Chris O'Leary said that. A lot of these interviews are boring, but that's an interesting tidbit. It's really not because they're looking they're looking to always always add talent. Okay, with that being said. At safety, we talked about Kennedy or Locker. I think of the safety targets, he's the most likely to join Notre Dame's class. Um, and I'll have a, an article in the next week or so about at Balloon Gold going through some of the safety names because it is important to go through because it's kind of hard to get a feel on it because not many of the safeties have been on campus. They have no commits. It's like, who are these safety targets? Um, so I also wanted to talk about it in today's segment. So Earl Locker definitely – a big one also visiting for the spring game is Davis Andrews, 6'2", 190 pounds um, from American Fork, Utah. Not, you know, Utah's not a, you know, a hotbed for Notre Dame recruiting. But this does go to show, as always, like Notre Dame will recruit the best players, you know, no matter where they are in, in the Fighting Irish staff. is really excited about this guy. Similar to Erlocker, like he's a pretty big kid and he hits. So there's a, maybe a potential projection for Rover. But Notre Dame's recruiting both Andrews and Urlacher as safeties. And then just one other guy to mention, Jalen McLean, who I know, uh, you know the Notre Dame staff is really excited about from West Orange, New Jersey, Seton Hall Prep, a four-star prospect. Um, yeah, he has Notre Dame as one of his favorite schools early on in the process. Just hasn't been to Notre Dame, but I would anticipate him being an official visit guy um, in the summer if he's not able to get up to campus this spring. So just a few of the safety names. Um, I would have slight concern about the safety position right now. You don't have any commits yet, no star-studded, you know, big names that are trending towards Notre Dame. Some fine players in our locker and, and Andrews, but they're not, you know, getting the casuals fired up with their star ranking. Um, so, yeah, you want to continue to see Notre Dame improve at the safety position. But, um, you know, I kind of look at it as defensive backs overall because corners can move to safety. Notre Dame has – like, you know, Carson Hobbs and, and Leonard Moore committed, and they can give you safety versatility. So can some of the other guys on the roster. Uh, but did want to mention, you know, some of those names to keep an eye on for safety. I want to ask you just one other real general question. 
obviously a lot of changes within Notre Dame football within the last two years. And even recently, Tommy Reese leaving for Alabama and Jared Parker becoming offensive coordinator. When you go from Brian Kelly to Marcus Freeman, obviously the intensity of recruiting is picked up. But just on the offensive side, the offensive coaching staff, how impressed are you with the job these guys have done, and in particular Parker with a new role now overseeing this offense. So just some general thoughts on the way these guys have recruited on the offensive side the last few months. I think that's a little much for someone to be like, wow, this is so much improved. Look at all this one. Like, it, it's still so early in the game. Yep. Um, I do like the two-headed approach of Parker and Gadouli, though. Uh, it just seems that they're not all, they're not co-coordinators, but the way it feels on re, on the recruiting front is that they are. Hmm. Gadouli is kind of taking an ownership of the entire offense with with recruiting, at least at least for me. And Parker obviously is the offensive coordinator too. So, and, and even like with with Gadouli, his background being you know tight ends coach even for a couple months at at Wisconsin, right? A lot of the tight ends in Notre Dame's recruiting, Gadouli already had a relationship with, you know, in, in the 25 class especially. I, I, I just like it more. To me, I, I felt like Tommy Reese as a recruiter, was, it was a little bit more he did his own thing. That's at least how I feel. I feel like it was offense kind of, you know, did their thing, defense kind of did their thing. To me, it feels like Gadouli and Parker are a little bit more Freeman guys. Like, they've coached with him before. Like, it, it just, to, again, I've said to me like 50 times here, trying to make the point very clear, this is in my opinion here, um, that they're more Freeman Foxhole guys. Okay. Not that Reese wasn't. I just get the feeling more so with Gadouli and Parker that he fits more of the Marcus Freeman recruiting uh, vibe. Okay. Finally, I want to talk about someone that meant the world to both of us. And honestly, for Irish fans, he was almost like part of the family. But the late, great Lou Samoji, of course, Blue and Gold Illustrated for decades. It will be two years since his passing coming up in about a week or so. And soon after his passing, I know you came on the show and you were talking about how there was a Lou Samoji scholarship fund that was being created. And Mike, I'm, I'm really happy to see that you guys are already starting to do some amazing things in Lou's honor, helping young men and young ladies live out some college dreams. I can get on here and talk about it, but I would much rather folks go to blueandgold.com and um, there's a news tab. Click on that. It was an article from April 10th. It's headlined, the Lou Samoa Scholarship already impacting lives. Todd Burlage at Bloom Gold's work, you know, worked with Lou for you know, a couple decades. And I just wrote an outstanding piece um, about it. I would, I would just recommend people go read it. And, and after reading it, please consider donating to the Lou Samoa Scholarship. I, I I seriously think about Lou every single day. I, I miss the heck out of that guy. Like just the impact that he had, you know. Seriously, like a what would Lou do? Hmm. That's I think about that all the time because like in my line of work, how do you handle yourself in this scenario? What would Lou do, or what would Lou say to do? You know, because sometimes I would do the opposite <laughs> of what Lou wants. Because Lou would always call me and be like, "Hey, Mike, I want your recruiting story." 
to be the main spot on our front page. Can you move my article down? And you know what I'd always say to Lou? Sure. You know what I would do? Not that. <laughs> because I knew his women's basketball story that he wanted me to bump down would probably do better than my you know, recruiting piece uh, on some you know, high school freshman or something. You know, just miss the guy. Yep. Just miss that guy. Truly the best. A one of one. Just a gem. A gem of a human being. Yep. The world got a lot darker when Lucy Moji passed because that guy was just the best. No question. No question. And heaven got a lot better. Heaven got a lot better yeah. when, when Lucy Moji entered it. Well, I'm so thankful you guys are keeping his memory alive and, again, helping students live out some of their college dreams. So congratulations to you guys for what you're doing. And speaking of blue and gold, we'd love for people that are – Big fans of the Fighting Irish to be a part of the Blue and Gold family because you know what? It's just a lot of fun. You learn stuff, but it's just doggone fun. You know, since we're talking about Lou, how about I'm going to not give my my pitch to people to sign up. Consider donating to Lou's Symposium Scholarship Funds. How about that? Okay. Head to the website, go to the news tab. Article posted April 10th titled The Loose Moji Memorial Scholarship Already Impacting Lives. Just read that um, and... Uh, there's a hyperlink to the Memorial Scholarship Fund. I also tweeted the article, so you can go on my Twitter account, uh, at Mike T. Singer, and there is a link there to support the scholarship fund. Um, so, okay. yeah, please do that. All right, very good. He is Mike Singer, the Notre Dame football recruiting insider for Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. I always appreciate your visit, and we will talk to you next week, and maybe we'll even see you next week. All right. Sounds good. Thank you, Derek. All right. That is Mike Singer, Notre Dame football recruiting insider, Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. And that's going to wrap up this shortened edition of Budweiser's weekday sports beat tonight from Four Winds Field in downtown South Bend, Indiana. We have to step aside because it is the home opener for the South Bend Cubs as they take on Beloit tonight at Four Winds Field. The pregame starts in just a couple of moments. The first pitch comes your way at 7.05. Again, thanks for joining me on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. We'll talk to you again tomorrow on 960 AM WSBT South Bend.